listening to Radio Tedland. Heading Nowhere, written by Patrick Cullen. Chapter 2. Saying Goodbye. I decided to make my escape via Haifa, and my plan in all its innocent simplicity was to get the ferry to Cyprus and see what happened. I'd said goodbye to Omer and was having a final couple of days in Tel Aviv before heading up the coast. There was a woman at the hostel I knew from my time on the kibbutz, a South African called Sarah. She was beautiful in an easily noticeable way and seemed to represent everything that was foreign to me. A world in which people made plans in the belief they would come to fruition. A world of basic security and the belief that things would work out and everything would be okay. I wanted her in the way I wanted the expensive shiny things I'd see people on the street walking round with, those people that outwardly at least seemed to have found happiness in the world, and I thought if I had what they had then I might become like them, that I too would seem outwardly happy, and what else mattered in a world as superficial as ours? Well, I might have wanted Sarah, and for all the wrong reasons perhaps, but she didn't want me. More correctly, it wasn't that she didn't want me, simply that she really, really wanted someone else. That type of wanting, that is destined to grow and grow, casting an imaginary cloud over anything real that could have grown in her life, because the one that she wanted didn't want her back. This one was Joel, a mutual friend from the kibbutz. He was an American, and seemed to have some kind of plan for what he might do upon returning home. This gave him an air of superiority, of somehow only passing through. He wasn't looking for anything because he already had all he needed, but if he could find some entertainment along the way, he'd take it, as long as it didn't end up weighing him down. I'm not sure exactly where Joel was at this time, whether he'd already headed home to those plans of his, or if he was somewhere else in Israel being entertained in an unburdened fashion. But he wasn't at the hostel, that much I do know. Me and Sarah had a couple of beds in a room for eight people, spread over four sets of bunk beds. In a situation like that, what privacy you had was shared with strangers, but the lower bunks were prized, as they offered the opportunity to hang a sheet from the upper bunk and create the illusion of being by yourself. I had asked Sarah to come to Cyprus with me. I'm not sure why, and I had no real belief she might have said yes. We were two people walking very different sides of the street in opposite directions, who just happened to cross the road at the same time. Maybe I'm being a bit harsh. Sarah had a good heart, some basic decency, and a desire to treat people well, and I was in the process of discovering that not everybody has that, or if they do, they tend to hide it well, especially from themselves. The night before leaving Tel Aviv, I'd reached some sort of accord with Sarah that I'd sleep with her. It wasn't anything we'd actually said aloud, we'd reached our agreement without words. After having had the decency to appear to think it over for a couple of days, she had finally said no to coming with me to Cyprus, so our sleeping together could be seen as some sort of going-away present. Well, I never got to unpack that particular present. My inability to leave any opened bottle unemptied led to a delay in my joining her on her lower bunk, behind strategically draped sheet, and when I finally did roll up beside her, she smelt my breath and heard my slurred tones, then kicked me out of bed, proclaiming with saddened disgust that I was drunk. I slept late, waking with a hangover and a sense of regret, and on seeing Sarah wasn't anywhere to be seen decided that on the balance of things, it was probably for the best. 
I packed my bag and left, got the bus and reached Haifa by early evening. I'd been there before and liked it. It was more laid back and harmonious than Tel Aviv, and in small doses that slower pace of life didn't get boring. I think in general I was searching for life, the living, the flame if you will. Haifa was probably more a place for those that had found life, and now were happy to live with the memory of its flame to warm themselves with. I was searching for the spark that could ignite me, and I didn't think I'd find it in Haifa, but it was as good a place as any to come and get over an unfulfilled longing, and probably better than many. For me though, this time, Haifa was merely a means to an end, the door marked exit. I had no plans, other than that I had a ticket for the ferry to Cyprus in the morning. I'd thought I'd be able to sleep at the ferry terminal, but that was closed and guarded by some unfriendly security guards. I headed for a pedestrian street with some pavement cafes, sat myself down and drank some beers. It stopped me from getting bored, and anyway, drinking was what I did. I had an idea I'd meet some woman, and she'd invite me back to her place, and as each beer I drank made it less likely, in my mind, the idea grew to become more realistic. Time went, beer bottles were emptied, tables thinned out, and I became more drunk, without having initiated any conversations. I decided to have a walk around and try and find somewhere I could doss down, some building site or roof I could get to and crash at. As I walked past a cafe, a man sitting at one of its outside tables asked where I was going. He was middle-aged, of a smallish build, and with short dark hair. I explained my situation, and he said no problems. He lived close by, and had a sofa I could loan. I was a little uncertain, he seemed friendly, but perhaps somewhat over-friendly, and that uncertainty grew when he told he had a friend staying with him. Still, it was getting late, I had no other options, and I was confident I could look after myself if the worst should happen, without actually giving that much thought to what that worst could be. Pretty soon we left the cafe, and I followed him the short distance to his nearby flat. Well, it turned out my benefactor and his friend were homosexuals, and they made a valiant attempt to convince me of the merits of joining them, quite literally, in the little party they were throwing. I made them aware that I was grateful for their offer, it pays to be polite, I've learned, but chose to decline it, and after a brief expression of disappointment, they left me to fall asleep on the living room sofa. I found it difficult, not because they disturbed me in any literal way, but the fact that they, a couple of strangers, were in the neighboring room, was somehow disconcerting for me. I don't think it was the matter of their sexuality and spoken desire for me, though I'm sure it added some extra spice to any worries I had. I think it was more the fact that they were strangers. It's a bit weird, out on the street, there would have been fear of being out there unprotected in the elements, anyone could happen upon me with the worst of intentions. And yet here, inside and safe from the elements, there was still fear, this not simply the fear of the unknown, but now the fear of the known unknown. Fear and loneliness go hand in hand. Our unique individuality defines itself with the shadow of fear, and when we no longer have fear in our lives, we are one with all and everyone and thing, and thus no longer alone. I slept fitfully, often waking and looking at the paintings hanging on the wall, illuminated by the streetlights outside and produced by my benefactor, an artist as it turned out. I awoke early, put toothpaste on my finger to brush my teeth and freshen up my mouth, then headed down to the port and the ferry terminal. There were a few other would-be passengers who'd already arrived, 
sat waiting for security to start questioning those people who wanted to board the ferry and leave the country. I gravitated toward a couple of men around my age, intensely studying a map as they passed an open bottle of vodka back and forth. I nodded a greeting and sat down on the floor to join them. They were South Africans I could hear and were engaged in a quite forceful discussion on geography. It turned out that one of the pair had an aunt that lived in Canada and their plan was to visit her. She was friendly and would help them out with money and might even have connections for finding work. And now they were sat with a map of Europe trying to figure out whereupon it Canada was. I looked at them both and could see they appeared to be completely serious, that they genuinely had no idea that Canada was not to be found upon a map of Europe. As gently as I could, I told them the news about North America. At first they were skeptical, disbelieving, and even when they begun to come round to my way of thinking, they were still somewhat in denial, fueled, I think, by their economic predicament. They couldn't afford tickets to North America. They'd spent pretty much the last of their money on tickets to Europe. Before I could answer any more questions about geography, though, I saw that security had opened the gates so we could begin the process of being interrogated prior to boarding, so I bade them farewell and headed off. I was questioned by two security officials, both men. They started out with standard questions, whether anyone had given me anything to take on board the ferry, whether I had had any contact with Arabs, whether any Arabs had given me anything to take on board the ferry. They asked me why I was leaving the country and didn't seem surprised when I said it was to get away from the cheap vodka. Then they asked where I had spent the night, and as I answered honestly they started sniggering, and when I told them I had slept with my back to the wall, and one eye permanently open, they began to laugh out loud. Thus having confirmed I was no danger to anyone, they decided to let me through, giving me a friendly pat on the back and advising me with a laugh to be careful out there. Then I just had to wait a short while longer before being allowed to board the ferry ready to sail away from a land of cheap vodka to an island of health.